Welcome to Common Rider AA, the podcast sponsored by Zaya. I'm your host, Anna, and these are my two uh, fellow hosts. I, I mean, I'm not complaining if we're getting money, but I don't recall signing a sponsorship deal with Zaya. I'm Adam, by the way. Don't worry about it. It's cool. I'm Cassidy, and I'm not a fellow. Is fellow a gender term? I No, I think it's gender neutral. Regardless, I'm not one. Today we watched it our recapping episode 16 of Common Rider 01. This is The Dawn of Zaya. So who wrote and directed this one? I assume now that we're moving into a different arc of the of the story of 01, I assume we have a, a bit of a different lineup. Well, it's uh, still written by Yuya Ta- uh, Takahashi. And it is uh, directed by Shojiro Nakazawa, the same person that uh, wrote the Shinya Owada arc. He also wrote the uh, Sushi arc and the Bus Driver episode. I do think this this is a pretty solid way to introduce the 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 next conflict in the series. And let's go ahead and jump in. So the episode starts with Izu's consciousness inside the virtual Zaya space. Izu's avatar in this space is kind of noticeably flickering. She gains cognizance and asks Zaya what has happened to her. She's given a quick montage of Jin stabbing her and Aruto scrambling to heal her. Izu remarks that her central memory is intact, and she then asks for an update on the situation. She sees Aruto transforming into shining assault hopper form and leaping at Jin, then we get we kind of transfer to the real world, uh, where this is where the situation is continuing to unfold. Zero one cleaves through a squad of trilobite magia before colliding with Jin, and then we kind of cut we smash cut to the OP. Once we're out of the OP, Yua and Fua stumble over to where Zero one and Jin are fighting. Yua marvels at Zero one's fighting style before coming to some sort of realization. Zaya somehow knew that all everything that has happened so far was going to happen. Anyway, Zero One gets a hit in on Jin, but the Geigers come to Jin's aid. Oh, oh, real quick, I do want to point out that I feel like when in the Assault Shining Hopper mode, Aruto's movements are a bit slower than like his regular fighting style. Or, that's just the vibe I'm getting. He's using a heavier weapon than than just kicking and punching. Like he, he I think he, I think that is right. I think he is like weightier in this uh, in this one. Zero one gets a hit in on Jin, but the Geigers come to Jin's aid. Zero one tries holding off two of them, but Jin uses Hirobi's Scorpion Progrise Key with an attaché shotgun to shoot Zero One point blank in the back with a sting briefcase shot. I really liked that move because, uh, like, before Jin put in the progress key, he said, let's do this Hirobi, and that just sort of got me. It's good. Yeah. This blows Zero One away as the Geiger's hand comes down upon our hero. But then Aruto opens his eyes within Zaya's virtual space. He sees Izu, who kind of recommends that he uses the offense-defense hybrid shine system to bolster his combat prowess. Yeah, it's Aruto's time to shine. He gets funnels. 
Arto makes a pun on Shine, and he and Izu kind of deliver his catchphrase in unison, which I thought was very sweet. A boss, just like how a boss needs his employees to really shine. Arto goes on to promise Izu that he'll win this fight and that she should focus on recovering. And they make a pinky promise on it. it I love it. It's so fucking cute. I love that. They're so good. Back in the real world, Zero One's eyes glow as the Geigers that are dogpiled on him get thrown off in a blast of light. Zero One rises to his speed as the insert song of the episode starts playing. Yeah, we, I believe we've gotten this song before. It's uh, called Find a New Life, but before I think, believe we only got the instrumental version. But this time we actually got the lyrics. I feel like I've heard the lyrics to this before. I have a I have a horrible uh, brain for uh, for music, so you're probably right. We see that the shine system consi- consists of crystalline hard light, I guess drones you could call them. They're funnels. They're options if you if you want to put it in Vic Viper terms. I I don't even know what Vic Viper is. It's Gradius. I only know I only know what Gradius is from Yu-Gi-Oh. They're the little things that orbit the ship as and add extra firepower. Yeah, there's there's an option card in yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh. Gradius and Gradius option allows you to create a Gradius token. But yeah, these these drones or funnels serve to both shield zero one and to shoot lasers at whatever he's targeting. Zero one uses this to trounce Jin quite thoroughly. They have a bit of an airborne battle uh, for a bit, but Jin gets knocked to the ground while still remaining pretty defiant. He continues saying that he will render humanity extinct, but Zero One asks why exactly and what humanity has ever done to Jin. Jin responds that he doesn't know, it's just what Hirobi taught him all of his life. This kind of makes me think of real world racism i was gonna bring well i mean i wanted to bring it to something fictional so he wouldn't get too real but sure okay tell us what you thought of anna i mean i I was thinking of the hobity jones arc in uh one piece that wouldn't mean much to me i've haven't watched or read one piece Uh, at one point luffy asks a a fish man who's like planning on killing all the humans what did humans ever do to you and he reveals that humans did nothing he's just following in the footsteps of uh, somebody who taught him who was hurt by humans, you know, showing that, you know, pain is generational and passes on, you know, from person to person, even if one person never experienced the pain. Yeah, hate is cyclical. Also, I, I, I like that Jin had no chance of winning this fight. Like, he had a little bit of a chance before the Shine system because, you know, he was able to Zerg rush him. But, like, Kamen Rider Jin is just not strong enough to beat a shine, Assault Shining Hopper. Anyway, Zero One ruminates a bit on the nature of Humagears. Their learning causes them to put out whatever gets put into them. Zero One's tone, tone seems to indicate regret that he and Jin have to fight, but he continues to voice hope that someday humans and humagears will live to, will live and laugh together. But uh, Jin responds with, humagears will only laugh once humans are extinct. Jin rejects Ar- Arto's ideals, and 
He primes his own finisher, Flying Utopia. Zero One unleashes his own finisher, Shining Storm Impact. They rider kick each other in midair, and upon landing, they do that samurai movie thing where they stand with their backs to each other before one of them falls. After a moment, Jin tries, seems to stand up fully, but he collapses in pain as his rider armor dissipates. And he has a giant fuck-all gash right across his face. It's pretty gnarly. So this scene's interesting, because like, he's heavily damaged, and he seems to be dying. I thought we were going to like have him, if not like slowly fully die, and like say something right before the end, or like not fully die, and he'll come back later. He just fucking explodes. Yeah, it turns out human gears are made out of plasticine. Yeah, he kind of Jin kind of defiantly says that all is our, as the arc wills it, and then he goes boom. Fuwa and Yua notice Zero One's victory as they express relief that MJ.net is quote unquote finally defeated. I mean, they, they were they were defeated, but then. So, uh, there's uh, just an asshole out there, like, undefeating them. Cut to MJ.net's hideout. Amatsu walk comes in and he walks over Hirobi's body. Well, not even walks over, he steps on Hirobi's body. To see that MJ.net's 3D printer has just produced two new progress keys. He almost directly looks into the camera and says, out loud to no one in particular, this marks 1,000% completion. I wonder what this guy's name is. Amatsu Guy. Zaya's CEO. No, I actually... Sorry, like, you, we can cut this out, but I don't... What was the joke? I don't get it, and I don't like feeling left out. Oh, uh, his writer name? He said something about Towser before, so I imagine he's common writer Towser. Yeah, it's Thouser, Thousand. Uh, also, uh, I believe he was talking to the Ark. Like, he was looking at the camera, but I think in-universe he was speaking to the Ark. But by the way, before we go, about uh, about Guy just stepping on uh, on Hirobi, like, props to Suya Sunagawa, the actor for Hirobi, for just sort of taking it, not corpsing. Like, I would not be able to have somebody step on me. I, I know they probably used a dummy with a wig, but... Props where props are due. To the dummy or to the actor. Back at Aruto's office, Izu reactivates and does a little dance to check out her body's mobility. Izu thanks Aruto for repairing her, but Aruto tells her that he's the one who should be grateful. He tells her that he only made it this far because of her support. While he's glad that Izu is back, Aruto's mood kind of abruptly drops as he tells Izu that they need to head over to the board meeting, which Fukuzoe mentioned last episode. We cut to that very meeting as the vote is called for Aruto's removal as company president. Fukuzoe raises his hand to vote aye, and he is the only one to do so. I don't know what you're talking about. He was clearly just had an itch. Yeah, but please stop doing things that could be misconstrued to Mr. Vice President. <laughs> he tries playing this off as him having to scratch his head. But then Yamashita, of all people, raises to his feet and lauds Aruto for doing exactly what Koronosuke wanted, 
by donning the mantle of Zero One and risking his life fighting MJ.net. I mean, yeah, Yamashita was like spin doctoring, you know, like he he like he he didn't he obviously was with uh, Fukuzoe, but like no, you could tell on his face, like he was like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, sure, this is what I'm saying. I didn't cat. I didn't read it like that. It. I think Yamashita was being surprisingly earnest in that moment, but yeah. I mean that I mean that would make literally no sense from literally everything else he's ever done in the show. So I'm gonna yeah. Choose. I think this scene just doesn't make any sense considering what we know about these characters in the show. Yamashita leads a round of applause for Aruto's efforts. Ashesta announces that the proposal to remove Aruto has been unanimously rejected. Fukuzoe kind of gives an Aruto a petty, slightly resentful version of the anime rival's speech in which they say, If you slack off, I'm coming for your spot. At Ames, Yua is watching a news feed on her rise phone about MJ.net's defeat and how Hidden Intelligence has put out a statement sta- saying that Humagears will no longer go berserk. Well, the, the specific wording is should not, which... I think, thank God they at least said should not, because if they said will not, like, not much of a difference, but in the media. Yua puts her phone away as Fua approaches her. Yua's loan period to Ames has apparently come to an end, and she's going back to Zaya. Yua kind of snidely tells Fua that she's relieved to not have to babysit him anymore. Fua kind of takes it and takes it in stride and asks what's to be done with him. He shifts his gaze elsewhere in the room and we see Hirobi's straight-jacketed body lying in the middle of it. Yua dismissively tells Fuwa that Hirobi's remains are now Aim's problem. As Yua walks off, Fuwa muses on what he's been fighting this whole time. He's hated MJ.net for so long he doesn't quite know what to think now that it's been reduced to a pile of scrap in front of him. I... Don't know how to take that line, but all I know is that I love it. Just like looking at this object of his hatred, and now that it, it's just the parts it was made out of, he no longer knows how to feel about it. Like, it's a hard line for me to exactly parse out what it means, but it feels very powerful. I think it's the whole vengeance feels empty at the end of the day, that sort of thing. I think Fu is just like the Joker. He's just a dog chasing cars. Would have no idea what to do if he actually caught one. Or then he caught one, and he doesn't know what to do about it. Now he's just living in a society, giving people reach-arounds. Okay, that's a step too far. In Zack Snyder's, like, director's cut of... Uh, Justice League, at one point, Joker just tells Batman, if I was dead, who would give you a reach around? In Suicide Squad, you mean? No, no, in the no, in the Justice League, the extended version that was released as a TV show, I haven't watched it, but I watched the clip of the Joker in it, where he straight up just looks at Batman and says, oh, come on, if I was dead, who would give you a reach around? I think this guy's a fucking hack. <laughs> Me or Jared Leto? Wait, it is Jared Leto, right? Zack Snyder. Okay, yeah. <laughs> he is, yes. <laughs> like, I, I'm i sorry for saying that out loud, and I'm sorry for sharing that, 
But I was burdened with this curse of knowledge, and now so will all four of our listeners. I mean, if you're going to talk about this, can I talk about my favorite Cole Sprouse tweet from 2016? I don't know who that is, but please. Uh, One of the people from Zack and Cody, I think Zack. Or Cody? I think Jughead from Riverdale. Right. Adam doesn't know Riverdale. He's not cultured like us. Uh, Yeah, so on February 16th of 2016, Cole Sprouse tweeted. I can't believe I'm going to fucking say this on a recording. <clears throat> Foodinari is not an Italian pasta dish. Do not ask for the Foodinari Alfredo at Buca <laughs> de Beppos. I learned this the hard way. Uh, a response tweet from his twin, Dylan Sprouse, Bukake de Beppos. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, thank you for sharing that with the class. One of my favorite tweets of all time. Oh, God, that is a great tweet. That's, that's solid, yeah. Um, uh, cut to Aruto and Izu being out and about in a shopping center. Christmas decorations are up. And Izu is, quote, detecting most, multiple instances of smiles, end quote. Yeah, just look at them going Christmas shopping. Love them. Yeah, they're in it's love. Humagir, yeah, Humagirs and humans are just kind of enjoying the day. Arto reaffirms his dedication to his dream of human AI coexistence. But we then cut to Amatsu's office. Yua is reporting that with MJ.net's defeat, Humagirs will no longer go berserk. Amatsu examines the two progress keys from earlier. There is an Arsino key and a key themed after a caucus beetle. Amatsu tells Yua that as long as the Ark exists, so too will MJ.net. He even tells her that he created the Ark in the first place, or rather, he was responsible for how much it hates humans. Yak's weirdly forthcoming as he tells Yua that he educated the Ark about humanity's worst qualities with the express purpose of creating an AI that hates humans. I mean, I think the reason he's being forthcoming is because he knows she won't do shit, and she didn't. Yeah, she she capitulated for whatever fucking reason. I mean, she's loyal to a fault, and it is definitely a fault when it relates to a Matsugai. I hope you we get more context for this loyalty. Like, I don't know, did, did she live, grow up in an or, in a Zaya funded orphanage or something, and feels indebted to him? Uh, I, I don't know. We cut back to the shopping center where Barotha Magia has appeared and has begun to wreak havoc. Arto, Izu, and a nearby Fuwa notice this. Back at Zaya HQ, Amatsu continues his villain monologue. He goes on to say that Zaya will use the Ark's power to ensure that their technology will reign supreme the world over. Yua is rightfully pissed off that her and Fuwa's lives were put at risk as Amatsu played heated intelligence, MJ.net, and aims against each other. But she does seem to capitulate to Amatsu when he tells her that he'll continue that he'll be continuing to rely on her as his right hand. Uh, back at the shopping center. Arto is helping people evacuate as a dodo magia swoops in. Arto expresses shock that there are still magia as Fuwa runs in and shoots at them. I, I like that it was the uh, Barotha and the dodo 
because those were like the last, like the first and the last Magio we really got. Because after the Dodo, we went straight to the uh, like end end portion with uh, only versus common riders rather than versus Magia. Thua demands to know how there are still Magia, but Arto admits that he doesn't know. Fua takes the progress attachment that was on the Shining Hopper key, and they respectively assume Shining Hopper and Assault Wolf forms. Hey, I have a question. Go ahead. Why? Why do they go for their strongest forms that make them tired? They're going against, like, baby Magia that they've kicked the ass of before before they got those upgrades. You know, they gotta strike hard and strike fast, you know? Who, like, who knows how powerful these Magia are, you know? Because, you know, the Magi are always updating based on combat data. We already know that this isn't the strongest possible form of Dodo, though. Yeah. I don't know, like, I think they just wanted to finish it, like, fast. But the, it, it time skips to nighttime. They were at this all day. And, like, Fu was gonna die from this. I mean, like, in Common Rider, if a form, like, hurts you by when you use it, you eventually just get used to it. It, like, calibrates to you. So, like, the first few times, it sucks, and then more you use it, the easier it gets. All I'm saying is that this would have been a perfectly fine time for Arto to just use the Burning Tiger or whatever. One cut later, and it's suddenly nighttime. Vulcan and Zero One defeat the Dodo and Barotha with their respective finishers. Uh, Vulcan wordly voices that this feels like the beginning of something bad. I, I will say, like, Fula is, like, visibly, like, exhausted and brought down by using Assault Wolf, but, like, it's not as bad as it used to be. So, like, there is, like, some indications of him getting better at it. I don't know. We don't see him dehension. He may have just started spitting up blood again. Later, Arto, Fukuzoe, and Yamashita are giving a press conference. The reporters are demanding answers about the sudden resurgence of Magia. Arto can only give non-committal answers before the conference room er erupts into a cacophony. It all gets silenced, however, by the entrance of one guy, Amatsu. He walks up to Arto and asks for how long Arto will cling to his fading dream. Amatsu then turns to the reporters and tells them that Zaya Enterprises will issue a TOB to Hidden Intelligence. What's a TOB? Arto steps to the side and asks Izu what a TOB is. She explains that it is a takeover bid. Amatsu intends to buy enough stock and Hidden Intelligence to, to basically perform a hostile takeover. Amatsu notices this gap in Arto's knowledge and explains it to him that it means that H.I. will basically be his property by the end of this. Amatsu turns back to the press and tells them that once the buyout is complete, Zaya will dispose of all the, quote, dangerous humagears. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up later, don't worry. Arto and Amatsu stare down each other for a bit as the screen fades to the AIM storage unit where Hirobi opens his eyes. The episode finishes with Amatsu in his office pulling out what looks like his what looks to be his version of a common rider driver. It's so it's, fucking big. I know, it's kind of bulky. And he 
then says that it is 1,000% his time to shine. I wonder what his name is. But that is the episode. And I... I did not... I, I really like the first half of this episode. Then things start to get a bit wonky. Really? Did, with regards to quality, or...? Like, a lot of things. I just feel that... I don't know. I, I have feelings about this episode. I'll, um... I mean, there are a lot of things I really like. I really like that Zaya exists as a... To, like, ruin the emotional climax that we had. Because, like, normally, you know, the defeat of uh, Jin would be, you know, you know, bittersweet. You know, like, we're happy Metsubo Jin right on Netscon and we're sad that, you know, Jin didn't get a fair shake of it. But Zaya comes in immediately after to basically reveal that all of that meant nothing. And and I like that. I like Zaya existing as like the destruction of meaningful resolution to a plot line because of like how powerful and omnipresent they are as like a company and a force against the heroes. I like that. But I just the the problem with it doing that is that it does, you know, again, ruin the meaningful resolutions. And I I, I am looking forward to the Hirobi plotline because Hirobi, you know, died assuming he properly fulfilled the Ark's will. And now he's going to wake up realizing the Ark's will failed and now he is alive and Jin, the person he was supposed to leave everything to, is dead. And it leaves open some really interesting things. I just, I didn't really feel the back half of the episode. But if Hirobi's coming back after having such a meaningful or otherwise meaningful death, is I don't know, with that kind of writing, is Jin really gone for good then? Well, I mean, I know the answer to that, but I can't say because spoilers. My thought on this episode is that it's each half of this episode is half an episode, but they are not two halves of the same episode. I feel like the first half of this episode is the final half of the episode that should have been before it. And the back half of this episode should have been the first half of whatever the episode is afterward. Like, it is... It's this weird middle episode that is, like, as a result, feels weird. I, I liked the cliffhanger of last episode, like, just getting a glimpse of Shining Assault Hopper, but... It does result in this episode being, like, the cl- the cliffhanger could have been uh, a Matsu guy, you know, getting the two progress keys from the arc and saying it's a thousand percent complete. Honestly, the cliffhanger for this episode could have been the Magia coming back. I think that is like, well, we just had like this moment of saying this isn't going to happen. I feel like they just like entirely bypassed any like, suspense or conflict that could have occurred from the meeting to the point where it feels like the meeting shouldn't have even been there, other than to, like, point out that, hey, the rest of the board is still on Aruto's side, even though it's going to change immediately because the Magia are back, and so they're going to hate him again for not keeping the company in line. 
Like, I feel like they could have done more there of having Aruto, like, squeaking by just barely on having the boards back, like, backing. I mean, I think Fukuzoe is the only one who is against Aruto, but yeah, like, you're right about that. Then why would they be holding an emergency meeting? I mean, Fukuzoe is the vice president. He probably put it in motion. It's like, well, I mean, it's the vice president. We gotta... Like, I, I mean, I'm just providing solutions, but I agree that it's a problem. And unfortunately, like, I'm going to give you guys some fair warning, and I'm sure I've said so before. This leads into my least favorite arc of Kamen Rider Zero One. We had our share of, of episodes we hated in Kiva. If, if Zero One's been too good so far, we need stuff to hate. But like, it's probably my, it's definitely my top five, well, top five worst arcs of Kamen Rider. Oh, I'm excited. There's so much to love in them, and I don't think we're ever going to get less than, like, a five on the scale. Like, I don't think it drips, dips into bad, but I think... I just... I can't wait to finish this next arc. Also, I feel like they just did Jin dirty. Like, I understand that he needs to, like, not have a chance of winning this fight with just the sheer amount of power that Aruto has here. But, like... He didn't get to... His fight was over in, like, within five minutes. And that was including the parts where Aruto went into cyberspace. I'm gonna unfortunately be rating this pretty low. Like, the the introduction of the Shine system is gonna bump it up a bit. And, like, some of the good Aruto-Izu interactions, but... uh, This this was incredibly close to being a five. Yeah, I, I feel bad saying it, because I want to really like the show and i do but i also need to be unafraid to say when you know things are bad oh totally with that i guess we can move on to ratings starting with our writer of the week this is the character or aspect of the production that we thought feel that we each feel had the best showing for this episode and i'm giving mine to yamashita i Based on my reading of the scene anyway, the man stepped out of Fukuzoe's shadow to give Aruto the credit he deserved. I agree. That's like kind of the reading that I got from there, too. I just went on. I was like, hey, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It doesn't make any sense. But yes, that that is for sure the reading I had. Uh, For me, I think I'm going to give it to Jin because, yeah, he got done dirty. But like some of his, you know, what he did have was good. You know, him saying, let's do this together, Hirobi, when using a Sting briefcase shot. Uh, like, him talking about how he doesn't know what humans did, but all he knows is that Hirobi taught him to uh, hate to hate humans. I, I think, you know, while he got done dirty with screen time, I don't think the writing for him was bad. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. I'm also going to say that, like, while I think it's my uh, least favorite arc that's coming up, the character writing always stays consistently strong. Uh, I guess I'll give it to I'll give it to Ease. I think I think she's she does a good job. This episode of just you know being the character that I like. She has lots of fun moments of okay, my memory is put in cyberspace right now. Let's see how I can still help. And then, like, that, that scene when they're in cyberspace, Aruto and E's, and, you know, they're making the jokes. It's good. All right, we're moving on to Tarot Corner. 
This is where I assign a major arcana or sometimes minor arcana of the tarot to a character, situation, or theme of the episode. And I'm giving Gaiamatsu arcana number 15, the devil. This card represents temptation and or taking an easy way out as opposed to taking the high road. Specifically, Amatsu was offering the public an easy solution to the Magia problem in the form of just killing all the Humagears. That's not even getting into the fact that he created this situation. His apparent manipulation of Yua is also pretty fitting. I, I do hope that we'll get more context to justify her loyalty to him. And now it's time for everyone's favorite segment. That's how you know it's... Double A! And his accent became more southern for that for some reason. I just wanted to do a southern accent. Well, go on. Uh, can you do yours first? I'm still trying to think of a good one. <laughs> well, I don't have a good one either. Do you want to hear? Do you want to hear a fucking joke? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Craig. Uh, just just so you know, uh, my joke was originally going to be, like, a joke about it being Zaya's time to shine, but z- that joke already happened in the end of the episode, and I forgot. Mm-hmm. For context, audience, Craig is a Discord bot that we use to record backups. Previously, we used him to record the actual show audio, but he sucked ass at doing that. So now he just does backups. Not, not in the good way, though. Like, some people suck ass real good, but Craig sucked ass real bad. <laughs> like, my, my joke was going to be, you know, Aruto may have activated the shine system, but it really was Guy's moment to shine. And it was bad. And it already was done in the show. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's how you know it. Double A! A. We really, I really made a mistake making this segment. Alright, uh, do we want to give ratings? So I was originally going to give this an 8.5 out of 10, but hearing the two of you articulate the flaws of this episode kind of convinced me that to put it at a, a to give it a 6.2 out of 10 instead. It's a big drop, damn. Yeah. I liked Arto's efforts being recognized. The establishment as a Matsu was a sort of love-to-hate villain was solid, and Arto's fight against Jin was cool too, but everything you said, you two said about the episode earlier is very true, and I think I agree with it all wholeheartedly. I'm torn between giving it a 6 and a 7, because, like, it had all those flaws I mentioned... But I feel each individual scene, except the boardroom scene, was written really well. So, like, I'm trying to decide how much does individual scene writing help compared to a not very well put together whole. Cassidy, you give your answer and I'll figure out mine right after. Okay, my answer to that question you've you've put will be explained in my uh, rating, which is a six, uh, because I don't really care. Su- like, sure, good scenes is good, but like, if your collection of scenes that you have for an episode does not like motivate me to continue watching your show in like a, a meaningful way, I'm just kind of like, all right, this episode sure did happen, 
And like, there's stuff in this episode that needed to happen, but I don't know that this episode as a whole needed to happen. I'm going to give it a 6.5 because I know there are episodes coming up that I'm going to give a 6 that I think this one's a little better than. So, so I'm going to give it a 6.5. And yeah, this is the worst across the board episode of Zero One. The closest being episode 7, which was the uh, Humagear teacher episode. Or gym coach. That episode was fine. Yeah. We, we, we gave it a 7, 7.5 and a 6. Uh, and Adam and Cassidy. I gave that episode a 6? Yeah. Damn. Can I retroactively bump that up? Because that was like a... I'm remembering that episode. That episode was okay. Yeah, I, I think it's because we had just come, up, uh, come off of uh, episode 6, which I believe was I Want to Hear Your Voice. Was it? No, no. I Want to Hear Your Voice was number 4, but we had just come off a series of really good episodes. So I think, like... It has so much to do with the context of what's presented around it. It's hard to decide when something is rated. Bump that up to a six and a half for me. Just because if I've rated this one a six, I, I, I think it is worse than that other episode for sure. Wow, this is probably the second most hated episode, well, hated relatively, uh, that we've done for this podcast. The first being, or rather the pair that we hated the most being the one with the the worst lawyer in existence Cassidy in I believe it's the second and third episode of Com- No, it's the third and it's the third and fourth right in the third and fourth episode of Common Rider Kiva the main character is being sued because of actions his father did 20 year, 20 some years ago do you want to know what the action he's being sued for what the actions he's being sued for are uh, yeah, hit me. They give us three examples. First, he went to a bar, and while he was getting drunk with a guy, he said, you know what? You should buy a bunch of bars. You, yeah, use that to make money. And then the bars failed. And apparently that's enough to sue somebody. The second thing that happened is Otoya Kurinai, the dad, he was at Vegas, and... Where everyone had weirdly European accents for some reason. And the guy he was with bet everything on one bet and lost it all. And apparently that's enough to sue Otoya. And the third one, which is the closest thing to something being suable, is he played the violin for for the guy, one of the guys who's suing him. And the guy was like, you know what, I want you to, I'm going to sponsor a huge... A concert, and you're going to be the star. And Atoya said, "Maybe I'll go," and then he didn't. And the guy's now suing his son for that. The only redeemable thing about those two episodes was that there was like maybe twenty. There was a scene that lasted twenty seconds. There's this this smiling dude who's just walking up on a on a riverbank, and he's getting ready to fish. He's going to have a great time. This place looks good. <laughs> Enjoying the serenity of nature, catching a few fish, just just having a chill, good time, and all of a sudden, off, from off screen, the monster of that of that week leaps at him out of fucking nowhere, like a spear the tackle. Next, 
<laughs> and the next shot is just the empty riverbank. And it serves absolutely no fucking purpose, and it is amazing. Also, Adam, you you gave away. It is a five second scene, not a twenty second scene. It is. No, it's not. No, it's like seven seconds. It's very short. It happens so quickly, and it is the only redeemable part of that episode, except that we get to see Kuranaya Toya some more. My favorite character of all time. I'll get, let's go ahead and get into plugs. Uh, you can find this podcast at double underscore common on Twitter. 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 Anyway, uh, you can find me, Adam, at another podcast, Pokemon Primeval. It's a TTRPG actual play podcast where we explore what the world of Pokemon might have been like and what it may be like using different TTRPG systems. Uh, Casty, where can we the people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitch at MadLobotanist, that's M-A-D-L-O-B-O-T-A-N-I-S-T. I'm going to be streaming some more this weekend at time of recording, which means you could probably go catch some VODs about um, me streaming some Sonic games, like Sonic 06, or this Sonic fan game that I learned about called Sonic Omens, where Sonic the Hedgehog says the, the words, Consider this your bad omen! Anna, is there anything you'd like to plug or anything on the internet you think needs attention? Uh, not really. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, like, I should really start coming in prepared because you keep on asking me this question. <laughs> I don't want you left out. You gotta start a running bit. Alright, fine. You know what? I'm gonna recommend uh, Fate Grand Order. It's a mobile game and it's very fun. Cool. Time to hint Sheen out of here, then. Cho!